Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we're getting a closer look on the biggest economic challenges that Europe will face over the next few months. Is the recovery strong enough? Are next generation programs robust enough to keep the recovery momentum? How concerning is inflation? To get some answers, we're joined today by, by Jean Pisani-Ferri, who holds the Tommaso Padua Schiopa Chair of the European University Institute, and he's also a senior fellow at Bruegel Think Tank. Thank you for joining us, Jean. Thank you for having me. And let me also welcome our regular contributor, Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director. Hello, Raymond. Hello, Carlos. Uh, glad to share this, uh, this talk with Jean. So, Jean, in your view, what is the most challenging economic issue that the EU will need to deal with over the year? I wouldn't start by mentioning inflation. I think we are, we are obviously, there are surprises, there are bad surprises. Um, the ECB has to adjust. Um, there is this uh, energy shock. Uh, it has implication for purchasing power. Uh, and it's aggravated by the sort of general um, supply conditions that are, that are difficult because of the, the fallout from the pandemic. But I don't think it's a, it's a major issue. Uh, I think we, we're facing more fundamental problems with the, the transformation of our growth model, um, the, uh, the climate uh, action and its macroeconomic consequences. I think that's absolutely major. That's something we are, haven't sort of you know, grasped the full dimension of. Um, uh, and then we have uh, sort of more uh, you know, the, the transformation of our environment, our geopolitical environment, the lessons to be drawn from the, from the pandemic in terms of resilience. So I would say those are the, the two main issues we have to, to, to grapple with. So do you, do you agree with that, Raymond? Do you, do you have in mind the, the, tra the green transition, the, uh, the, the making sure the economy is more resilient after the, the COVID nightmare we're we are, we are hopefully getting uh, behind? Yes, I, I very much agree. These are, these are the key challenges. I think, in a way, the European economy is at the crossroads between three big issues. You know, one is, as, uh, as Jean was saying, the, the green transition, which is, is going to be all, not only this year, but actually for many more years to come, because it's a very complex issue. We still, uh, Europe relies very much on fossil for, uh, or sources of energy. Uh, upon which there's a lot of divestment, and, and we don't have enough of renewable sources of energy, and this will, will put pressure on energy markets for a long time. The second element of the transition will be a, a big change in, the, in demand patterns. Uh, some of it was preceded the pandemic, which is in particular the digitalization of the economy and the increase in demand for the digital goods and services. And another element which is relatively new, which is, is there is, a, and we don't know how persistent it will be, there's more demand for goods vis-a-vis -vis services in general, which for countries like, for example, Spain, 
is a big issue because we have we rely very much on services, in particular tourism services. But certainly, I mean, this is another another key issue, another key transition, if you wish. And the third one is a supply chain disruption, which hopefully will be a little smoother. So it may be a little easier to tackle than the green or demand chain chain transition. But still, in the short term, it will put pressure on on markets, in particular inflation, which to some extent will reflect both energy but also supply chain disruptions. I wanted to ask you about the debate on on taxonomy because I think it it touches on the the the, the, the first issue that Jean mentioned about the green transition and whether gas and, and nuclear energy needs to play a, a key role helping us transition. You, you know, during this time that we don't have enough renewables, they are not there yet, and we need energy. What, what's your take on that, Jan, on this debate that has arised after the Commission has proposed? And we've seen many, many critics. Well, we see different, uh, different viewpoints uh, because the reliance on renewables, on, um, on nuclear, on the gas and energy transition are, are not the same across member states. Um, I would say, you know, this is some, somehow normal. Um, uh, I'm from a country where there is too much uh, of, a, of a belief that nuclear will avoid the, the difficulties of the transition. Uh, I think nuclear has to be a, a transition energy. I mean, we, we can't, in, in, in a country like France, we, we certainly can't, you know, get rid of nuclear uh, overnight. Um, uh, this, is, this is part of the energy mix. Um, and I think it has to be recognized that, you know, if you, you, you need to invest in, in, in nuclear, uh, but at the same time, you, you, you can't just, uh, you know, assume that uh, it will it will spare all the efforts into into renewables. But but more fundamentally, what I think is that we shouldn't put too much emphasis on this taxonomy. This is fine, but you know, this is indicative. This is for investors to to well, decide. Um, and I think this notion that investors, uh, asset owners, are going to drive the, the transition um, is excessive uh, because there is a lot of brown capital in the world. So even if people you know, are, are willing to invest in green and, and are very selective in their investment, unfortunately, there are quite a lot of, of capital that's willing to uh, go brown. To be concrete, um, I don't think we would have made, we will make any progress if our uh, oil companies are bought by Aramco or, or Gazprom. Um, the question is the transformation of our energy system. It's not the greening of our financial system. Yes, I think that uh, what um, in a way what what uh, we are missing at the moment is to I mean we need to be consistent. We have a very very kind of a um, demanding. Um, uh, environmental objectives, which is, I think, is a good thing, which is, after all, what our populations want, but also what uh, the these are the objectives which have been set by the international community and something which I think the the world needs. So, um, and but we need to be consistent. And and the the key element which is missing now is uh, more investment on technology for renewables. I mean, we have uh, very hopeful uh, projects and renewable sources of energy. But we still miss a lot of uh, technological development in order to make them fit for the kind of economies that we have. 
which require a peak, you know, which have peaks in demand, and therefore those peaks in demand cannot be met at the moment with renewables of energy. And for that, we need to invest a lot more. So I think whatever the taxonomy, I think it's useful that there is a taxonomy, but I think the taxonomy has to be accompanied with a major uh, European program, which has to go beyond next generation EU, because it will be longer than the next generation EU uh, time horizon. Uh, which has to do a lot with uh, efficiency of renewable sources of energy. And that requires not only private investment, but also very fundamentally public investment. I don't think that private, I don't think that markets in and of themselves will have strong enough signals for them to take those big risks for such a long time horizons. And so I think the, the, the biggest missing piece at the moment, I would say, is a major uh, and you know, European-wide energy project focusing on the, on the kind of uh, investments and technologies that we need for us, for us Europeans, to have energy sovereignty, if you wish. I think that's that's really fundamental. Now, you you mentioned uh, Jean, you mentioned before uh, the need to to get uh, uh, resiliency for our ec economic models in Europe, and I think the next generation programs have a role to play. Um, we're talking about 800 billion, billion euros, which is the biggest fund the EU has ever agreed on. Is that enough to maintain the recovery momentum and to help the economies build uh, stronger and more productive systems so that we are better equipped for the challenges of this post-COVID world? I wouldn't ask myself if it's enough. I think we have to make the best use of it. Um, we, we, we're not going to, you know, find any new money until um, uh, it's been demonstrated that NGU is actually useful. Um, the, it, 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 it was a, a hard political compromise to get. Uh, and I think if uh, it proves useful, if it sort of changes the growth trajectory, both in, in quantitative and qualitative terms, if it um, is instrumental in, in uh, you know, in, in creating new economic dynamism in Italy, which where, where it has been lacking for, for, for so long. Then uh, the lesson will be drawn that, you know, EU money can be useful and that the, some degree of solidarity can uh, you know, actually benefit everyone. But if it sort of ends in uh, useless investments or in distribution of money here and there, without any significant effect, it's going to be a disaster. So I think the, the focus should really be on making the best use of it now. Uh, uh, and, and it's not the right time to you know, contemplate new, new, new money. You could, you could say you know, it might be, might be useful. But at the same time, you know, the situation we're facing is more a situation in which there is a lot of demand. Um, there's not enough uh, supply. There are bottlenecks here and there. So again, I mean, uh, really, let's make use of, of the money we have to, to sort of, you know, uh, relaunch, re-engineer, uh, retool the supply side. Are we making good use? I mean, it's still early, but for, with the, with the um, signals we have, are we, do you think we're in the right track to make good use of these funds? Okay, I, I would say the distribution uh, of, of money, the, uh, the, the distribution between the green transition, between the digital, uh, between a number of other priorities is, is roughly okay. Um, 
the, all the questions now are in the, in the details. I mean, you know, uh, and the, the commission has put in place uh, a mechanism for monitoring. Um, it's fairly intrusive. My worry is that they should be focusing really on, on, on what are the important priorities rather than on, on the box ticking side of, of, of things. You know, you have zillions of milestones and targets, and we know our bureaucracies are very good at demonstrating that milestones and targets have been met. Uh, the question is, is not that. The question is whether these packages of investment and reforms go together, unlock what's uh, you know, preventing uh, economic uh, performance, economic transformation. Uh, and I think the, to associate both investment and reforms, it's a powerful recipe. We have actually to make sure that we, we're making use of it. Yes, I, I very much agree, and I would say that uh, I mean what. Uh, in a way, it was it's a bit unfortunate that the, this uh, next generation EU was seen as a, not only as a transformation tool but also as a recovery tool. As a recovery tool, in a way, is a little it comes a little late because already Europe, European economies are recovering from the pandemic. Luckily, <clears throat> many of them are already uh, uh, at or even above pre-pandemic GDP levels. Uh, so uh, not not it's not the case in some of them, of course, like Spain, for example. But uh, you know, not not far. Uh, what is really needed is a transformational element. So, in other words, I think what's the most important for the next generation EU funds, not is not so much to spend them quickly, but to spend them wisely. And in that regard, I think that um, what uh, it's a bit unfortunate that that there are too many. You know, when you look at the details of the the different country programs. I think maybe there are too many uh, kind of um, boxes to be ticked, to use the terminology of Jean. In other words, for example, in the case of Spain, there are 200 investment objectives, whereas maybe for transformational purposes, it would have been better to have a kind of much less but bigger transformational objectives, given that uh, what we need to do is to really transform the, the model. And also what we need to do is avoid aggravating some of the supply shortages and supply bottlenecks that already exist. So if you go too quickly in terms of spending the money and you believe that this is a recovery program, in a way you, you may aggravate some of the inflationary uh, pressures. Uh, whereas, I mean, in the, the next generation, you can help actually not only in the long term, but also in the short term in order to reduce, to attenuate the supply bottleneck, which is RP, uh, not only in some markets, but even also in the labor market, where we see also already some some shortages which are appearing there as well in some countries. I wanted before we close. I wanted to ask you about the um, the, the, the COVID nineteen and, and whether you think there's still a risk that COVID can challenge recovery and we may see we may see some uh, new lockdowns over the year. I mean, no one wants to see this, of course. But do you think we've learned to live with the virus from an economic point of view, Jean? I, I do think so. Yes, um, the you know the economic cost of limiting the transmission of the virus was huge at the start. Huge. Already with the second lockdown, it was very significantly down. And now we, we we've been able, with much more targeted policies, to achieve some public health um, you know results at minimum uh, economic costs. So it's not to say that it's trivial. It's not to say that, you know, there's nothing happening. For example, I'm very worried by the fact that 
long distance travel has been cut and basically we, we, we've been cut off from any uh, in-person contact with, with Asia, you know, um, they have completely disappeared. There are no flights, there are no travel, um, they have their zero COVID policy and, and, and this will be having consequences uh, in the long term. And that's what you learn from observing in history what happens when there are, you know, uh, restrictions that are created or lifted to the travel of person. This, this is um, having implication for, for trade, for, for economic integration. So I'm not say, saying it's trivial. What I'm saying is that we, they, there has been a lot of learning. What's your take on that, Raymond? Yes, I think the, certainly the economy has adapted to, to this and uh, it has proved a lot more resilient. We have some signs of it. For example, uh, there is, I mean, enterprises are focused from just in time to just in case, so they are building more inventories. And we see that actually in the growth figures that appear recently in, in Europe. Uh, we, the, the, the world of work has also adjusted with a lot more telework and other flexible forms of work in order to you know, attenuate the impacts of the pandemic. And I would say more generally, I think that uh, Europe has done well vis-a-vis -vis other parts of the world in terms not only of vaccination, but also, but, but, uh, also in terms of trying to uh, kind of live with the pandemic. So not closing entirely uh, our economies. For example, the Chinese approach, which is to immediately, whenever there is some infection, immediately close certain areas. I'm, I'm not sure it's the best, certainly not for Europe. And Europe has proved relatively successful in trying to live with, with the pandemic. And through this, we have learned how to adapt and our economies are doing better. That said, I have one regret. I mean, Jean mentioned before the travel with Asia. This is very, very, very correct. Another regret I have is in terms of migration. I mean, migration flows have slowed quite a lot. And given our demographic challenges, this may be quite an issue given the fact that uh, in many European countries we are facing yet another transition, which is a demographic transition, with the, the cohorts which are retiring being much more numerous than those that, en that, en that are entering the labour market. And we see, for example, unemployment rates reaching very low levels in many parts of Europe as a result. All right, I think we're, we're coming to an end. I want to thank you both. Um, I think we, we, we touched on many issues that are going to dominate the agenda over the next months. So Jean Pisaniferi, um, thank you so much for joining the Futurist Blue podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond Torres. Thank you very much. Happy to participate. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.